I just learned something from my wife. Uh, you can sing that to the tune of Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, but I like that. I like that tune right there. That's one of my favorite songs. Uh, you never guessed tonight, but the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter number 5, moving upward and onward. Nehemiah chapter 5, when you find that, I'll have you stand, we'll read a little bit of the scripture here and see what the Lord has for us tonight. Bible says here in Nehemiah chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against the brethren, the Jews. For there were that said, We are sons, and our daughters are many, therefore we take up corn for them, that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses, that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought into bondage already, neither is it in our power to redeem them. For other men have our lands and vineyards. And I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. There's a lot of trouble in the Christian life, and uh, some trouble is avoidable, and let's face it, some is unavoidable. And a good example of unavoidable trouble is that 20-gallon-per-minute Lake Kawas next to us here, and there's no way we could have done anything about it. And I'd like to just preach a little while tonight about steering clear of trouble. Brother Cole, you pray. Ask the Lord's help in the preaching. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, about the time it takes for a pencil to fall from your hand and hit the ground is generally about the time it takes for trouble to show up in the Christian life many times. <laughs> and even though Job said uh, in Job 5, 7, he said, you know the verse. Yeah, uh, he says, yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. You got to also balance that out and remember what the Lord said through David. In Psalm 27, 5, he said, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. So even in the time of trouble, there's a place you and I can go. Amen? You don't have to go through all the troubles of the Christian life all by yourself, although there's going to be quite a few times you just feel like you're all by yourself. But if you're saved, you ain't. Amen? Uh, the Lord is with you, uh, and he's inside of you. And he's going to go through it with you. But so many times the trouble that we face, uh, I would say this, it seems like a lot of our troubles could be avoided. 
could be avoided. Uh, trouble is found in 27 books of the Bible in word form, but then in actual form it's found in all 66. That means every book of the Bible prevents some sort of trouble that somebody went through and that you and I probably no doubt are going to have to go through. Now, some Christians, it's interesting, they continuously dwell upon their troubles uh, as if that's all that ever happens to them is trouble and hard times as they said on hee-haw, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Amen? Then some people, you know they have troubles, but you never hear it from their mouths. And you're just waiting for it. You're just waiting for it, and it never comes out of their mouth, and that's kind of a blessing because most of us would wish that trouble, our troubles would never come out of our mouth. Amen? But we talk about it. You know, we just we share with the brethren, you know. And uh, some people have trouble, and some people don't seem to have any trouble at all. But Nehemiah, he's going to... The Holy Spirit's going to teach us through here in chapter 5. We see trouble seep into the work, and then trouble slows down the work. And that's the aim of trouble, isn't it? The aim of trouble, when the, the devil is able to be a, a part of that thing, is to let it seep down into the very fibers of what God's doing in your life and what he's doing in the work that he's having you do for the Lord Jesus Christ. With the end result, he wants to slow down the work and then completely stop the work. That's what the aim is. And here in our text, uh, I just want to preach for a little bit. It won't be too long tonight about steering clear of trouble. Now, before you can steer around any obstacle, the obvious thing is you have to identify it as a hazard. <laughs> right? You have to be able to say, you know what, that's trouble. That's something I should not run into. And you have to identify the trouble before you apply the brakes and safely maneuver around it. But here in our text uh, today, I want to show you different types of trouble and, and try to get the Holy Spirit to speak to us about steering clear of trouble. The first thing I see here in verses 1 to 2 is inevitably I see, first of all, family trouble. Family trouble. And uh, the Bible talks about it here in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And within that family trouble, uh, believe it or not, if you look at verse 1, the first thing I see is some hollering wives. <laughs> Amen? I see some hollering wives. The Bible says in verse 1, there was a great cry of the people and of their wives. You say, well, uh, why in the world would the, why would the world would the wives holler? Well, you ain't been married too long then, if you can ask that. Uh, there's a number of reasons why uh, a gal will get fired up. There's a number of reasons why a woman that is married would uh, cause a great outcry. Uh, well, first of all, it could be, and uh, don't ask me why I went with the negative first. It's probably my nature. It could be the insecurity of the gender. Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, that she is the weaker vessel. It didn't say she was the stupider vessel. It said she was the weaker vessel. We're not even going to, I will never sit down and say, I'm going to challenge my wife to an IQ test. That is the dumbest thing. Tug of war, yes. IQ, no. Amen? That's funny. Thank you. Appreciate the help and the credibility in the time of preaching. Amen? But might be the insecurity of the gender. A lot of times our wives, they'll get, uh, they'll get noisy because they see what's going around that we're doing wrong. And they all of a sudden, they begin to feel insecure about our bad decisions. Might be the insecurity of their gender, since they are the weaker vessel. Uh, generally, uh, a wife will cry 
before a husband will ever shed a tear, generally. <laughs> generally, amen. And that's a good, God made them that way, amen. It could be the insecurity of the gender, but um, it might be uh, the intelligence of their nature. Might be the intelligence of their nature. You say, how so? Well, remember Abigail, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 3. She was a woman of good understanding. Now, I've never met Abigail, but she sounds like a real winner. She really does. I mean, just the way that the Bible portrays her to be in a hurry to please David, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and a good countenance and just a great spirit she had. I mean, the Bible paints a picture that not only is she beautiful, but she's smart. <laughs> Amen? And it might just be the intelligence of their nature. Maybe they're crying because, hey, you know what? It's a time to cry. And in the Christian life, guess what? There's a time that you need to shed some tears. And uh, a lot of men are not very good at shedding tears. You know, you take their favorite hunting rifle and throw it out in the Lake Huron, they might cry. Amen. But it might be the intelligence of their nature. And the other thing is, is it might be the uh, insubordination of their spirit. And, of course, that's over in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11, uh, where those uh, women, they weren't supposed to be slanders. And, of course, uh, the way the Bible rolled that thing out in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible said, he shall rule. But we know what the problem is. We know men's problem. They don't like to rule. And when they do rule... Sometimes the old nature inside of the, the wife will raise up and it'll be an insubordinating spirit. So I'm talking about family trouble. I'm showing you in the passage there's some hollering wives and it's not because they just have a bunch of big mouths. It could be a legitimate thing. And this is trouble that you and I as a Christian have to learn to steer clear around. Uh, men, we have to have the right relationship with our wife uh, we have to treat her right so she can look good. Amen? It's not always her fault. Amen? Uh, it's not her job to, to make you, know, you feel like you're a million bucks all the time. Uh, you should have a good relationship with the Lord and you should, your approval should come from Him. So there's some hollering wives here in the passage. If you look in verse 2, I see some hungry children. Some hungry children. Verse 2 says, Our sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Now, that's a real thing. He's, they're trying to survive. <laughs> and uh, now, Americans don't know too much about survival. Um, most of us eat too much. Um, but it could be that they just need some food. They just need food. They just need fed. And they need the right food. I spent years on that ice cream route and... Uh, ice cream and pizza and all that stuff make you five by five, you know what I mean? They're schwans. And I'd go up to these uh, rough neighborhoods, and man, I'll tell you what, I'd help spend their money so fast, and they'd buy the, just a big pile of junk and ice cream and look at them kids, and you know they're in rough shape. But they just need the right kind of food. You and I need the right kind of food. Amen? You and I need to take care of ourselves. And some of you do a real good job at it, and some of them, well, they say the temple needs maintenance. Amen? But uh, for food, how about this one? Some, uh, some of the children are hungry not only for food, but maybe, they're, uh, maybe our children are hungry for the, our attention. You ever stop and think about that? You ever stop and think of how busy we get that uh, we can't give our children the uh, proper attention? Everything becomes more important than uh, spending time with your kids. 
uh, spending time with your kids is important. It's not only important, but what they say it's a part of a complete nutritious breakfast, <laughs> but it's, it's part of a healthy life. Uh, some of the biggest frustrations that uh, adults have is the dysfunctional relationship they had with their parents. And only God can help you deal with that. But here in the passage, you got some hungry children. And I'm just telling you, spiritually speaking, sometimes not just for food, it's just for attention. Sometimes I know exactly how you feel. You're like, I wish she'd spend time with me. I wish he'd spend time with me instead of criticizing me over stupid stuff. I wish he'd take me fishing. <laughs> or whatever it is you like to do. So sometimes uh, the hungry children, they're just hungry for attention. Attention. Uh, kids are not the most important thing in the world, but if God blesses your home with children, they are very important. Amen? Very important. You don't worship them. You don't center your life around them uh, in the sense of making sure they have uh, proper care is important, uh, but you need to give them the proper attention. You say, you got it down, preacher, you're going to write the book and make millions? No, but I just know that it's important to give your children the right attention. The Bible says, it says over here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Look at it with me. I know most of you know this verse. I believe I'm preaching to Bible believers and Bible readers tonight, which makes it, by the way, uh, Pastor Tim commends you all. He said you are all extremely easy to preach to, and that's a great compliment for you all here tonight. Um, a lot of times, that's why it's difficult to get pulpit fill that is correct in northern Michigan. It's very difficult. Um, I don't have a plethora of preachers to pull from. Wow, there's a lot of peas in that one there. But at any rate, that was not intentional, but it's pretty cool, you know. But when a preacher comes in that believes the book, he believes it from cover to cover, he's been in the ministry a long time, and he says, your people are extremely easy to preach to, that means your fellowship is right with the Lord. So I commend you on that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Bible says, and ye fathers... So here's where, here's where it comes down. It comes down on daddy, right? Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So if we don't give our kids the right attention, we'll tick them off. I'll go over to Colossians, and here's the real, here's the, uh, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Colossians chapter 3, I think it's 3, isn't it? Where's the one that says, lest they be... Discouraged. Thank you. 321. Bible says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Now, Paul's not saying don't make them take out the trash, don't make them do chores. You know, if I wouldn't have done that, there would have been a, a little headstone over in this side of the church a long time ago where they buried me. But you've got to treat your kids the right way. Amen. <laughs> and you've got to give them attention, not just... We're good as parents generally. Bible believers are good at giving children the right attention when it comes to stop doing that because that makes us look good. And that's over in Hebrews. Why? Our fathers chastened us for their own pleasure. We chasten our kids so they don't make us look bad. That's what the Bible says. But we got to also give the right attention to our children so they're not discouraged. They don't say, you know what, fooey on this Bible stuff, fooey on this church stuff, and you know, when I turn 18, I'm on the first thing, smoking, see you later, goodbye. 
So you gotta you gotta give the kids the right food and the right attention. And I'll, the other side of that coin is this: some some children they squawk. I'm not talking about little ones. <laughs> I'm talking about children that know better, and they're crying, they're carrying on, and uh, the reason they are is because they need a rod. <laughs> Amen. Um, uh, look at Proverbs chapter 29. Real simple. Real simple preaching tonight, nothing difficult. But right in the text you have trouble, and you have family trouble right out of the gate. And the first two things I see in the passage is you have problems with the wives, and you have problems with the children, with the children. And uh, God gives you children. It's the fruit of the womb. It's his reward, and there's a great responsibility that comes with it. And uh, Proverbs chapter 29 Verse 15, nope, that's Psalms, that ain't going to work. Proverbs 29. Now we all know how our parents raised us, amen? Every one of you know how your parents raised you, but at some point in time you've got to say this, what does the Bible say and how should I raise my children? If certain things that your parents did worked, then use them, but you better make sure that how you raise your young'uns line up with the Word of God. Amen? Uh, 29, 15, the Bible says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So sometimes the kids, they're squawky and they're hungry and they're crying and they're whining. Why? Well, they just need a rod. <laughs> Amen? They need a rod. Well, let me give you this one. Not only family trouble back in Nehemiah chapter 5, but how about financial trouble? You knew we were going to get there eventually, right? Family trouble, and in verses 3 and verses 4, I see financial trouble. And isn't that a reality in the day you and I live in? It is. It always seems like we can make money, but there never seems to be enough of it to go around. One latest statistics said that Americans spend at least, at least 10% more than they make. So if you're a tither, that means you spend 20% more than you make. Because you got to remember, just because we're blood washed and we're Bible believers doesn't mean we don't have the same problems that this world has. It just means we're saved. Because if we didn't have the same problems the world had, then why are our families still busting up the way they are? Why do we still have the same problems that the world has? You see what I'm saying? Now here you got financial trouble, and in verse uh, number 3 of Nehemiah chapter 5, I'll give you this one, you have the insanity of mortgages. Somebody say amen. <laughs> the insanity of mortgages. Verse number 3, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses. You ever stop and think about that word mortgage? Mortgage, mortuary, morgue, morbidity. I mean, say no more, right? Why don't you just... Why don't you just say, uh, why don't you just say, I'm going to uh, put you in a contract that is equivocating you with a slow monthly death. <laughs> but that's mortgages. And uh, I can't believe the timeliness of this message by God's grace. I just cancel it out by being superstitious, right? We'll make our last uh, house payment next month. Oh, man, I never thought that day would come. 
of course, the thing's a pile of junk. But anyways, uh, you know, we got through it, amen. Now we'll have to spend the next 30 years fixing it back up, amen. Because the first 30, you didn't have any money to fix it. But uh, uh, many mortgages have messed up our Christ-centered marriages. You say, how so? How are you going to blame a mortgage? <laughs> well, spit off more than you can chew. That happens. You got to be careful when it comes to mortgage. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Uh, and many mortgages have messed up our marriages. Uh, many mortgages, how about this, never make it to completion. Now, when I was younger, I don't remember hearing much about this, but it seemed like once I got out of college, and uh, we had a house, all of a sudden there was, like, especially around 2008, and I know there's a multiplicity of reasons why things went crazy, but all of a sudden a couple banks, they rose to power because they gobbled up all the foreclosed homes. And I even heard preaching about the time of Jacob and Pharaoh, and now Pharaoh owns all the land, and probably a lot of truth to that, amen? But, uh, I mean, foreclosures are real. A lot of mortgages never make it to completion. Imagine putting in, let's say you put in 20 out of 30 years, and then you walked away from it. Wouldn't that, that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? I just get sick thinking about that. Is this too practical tonight? I'm talking about financial trouble. You've got to be careful you don't bite off more than you can chew. And uh, I know this, this isn't Dave Ramsey's uh, financial seminar, but most mortgages have multiple ways to be cut short. But they don't tell you that. You realize that most every mortgage company you can make bi-weekly payments literally eliminating so much of your interest. You say, preacher, we want you to preach us. I am. It's right here. We're dealing with mortgages. They're screaming and crying about their mortgages. And one day you'll be screaming and crying about yours too. I'm just saying they don't tell you about it, and you can make biweekly payments. Amen. <laughs> uh, not only that, you can make uh, extra principal payments. And if it, it, you know, we're talking with uh, Joe and uh, Brian early. If the if the market tanks and the interest rates drop through the floor, it'd be a great time to refinance. Don't act ultra spiritual on me. You need to do what helps you out. Make it in this world, if it pleases the Lord. Amen. The insanity of mortgages. How about this one? Uh, verse four. The inevitability of taxes. The inevitability of taxes. Verse 4, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute. Now, I thought this was a crazy thing. When I first started working at McDonald's back in 91, no one paid for their uh, Big Mac meal with a credit card. They didn't even have debit cards. It didn't even exist. Um, every once in a while, someone wrote a check for a McDonald's meal. Oh, yeah, it was weird. And then after that, they stopped taking checks. But the, the inevitability is you are always going to have to pay taxes. Amen? It's just real simple. And here you have in the text people trying to do a work for God, and you know what they're having to do? They're having to borrow money to pay their taxes. That's like paying for groceries with a credit card. Now, unless you have some elaborate scheme like some of you smart, high IQ people, like I'm going to... You know, you, you hear some of these videos, and you should never spend a dime of your own money. You always put everything on a credit card. Well, if I did that, I'd be like $500,000 in debt. And I ain't got no sense. But what they're saying is you need to use someone else's money, but make sure you pay it off every month. But the inevitability is, is you're going to have to pay taxes. <clears throat> uh, Jesus paid his taxes, Matthew 17, 27. 
They uh, showed up to Jesus and uh, to Peter and says, "Doth your master pay taxes?" Like, yeah, duh. And uh, do you pay taxes? Peter's like, yeah, I pay taxes. And like, well, your taxes are due. And so Peter looks at Jesus. Jesus, says, well, you better go fishing. <laughs> and he goes fishing, gets a coin, and pays taxes. You say why? Because if you don't pay your taxes, it'll be an offense to those that are in authority. You realize as a Christian. Not only should you obey the law, but you pay your taxes so you're not ticking off people in the community that are looking at you and holding you to a higher standard because you should be held to a higher standard. Why? You name the name of Christ. You should pay your taxes. Amen. I don't think there's anybody here that doesn't pay their taxes. If not, it will catch up with you. All right. You've got the insanity of mortgages, the inevitability of taxes. How about the irresponsibility of debt? This is really extremely practical through here as I was trying to dig this out. In verse 4, he says, we borrowed money. And then he's talking about borrowing money upon our lands and vineyards. I mean, they borrowed for everything. They are so in hock, they can't enjoy life. Now, that's a real thing that happens. And it happens faster than you'll ever understand. Now, this is some tough lessons to learn. And I, pr I pray and I trust you learn them early. I'm preaching to a young crowd here, and I just pray you learn it early. Because if you don't, you will. <laughs> but you'll have to learn it the hard way. And uh, we've all done it. Many learn, and many do not learn. Over in Genesis chapter 30, verse 27, remember Laban? He says, I have learned by my experience. And then he goes on to say how the Lord's blessed Jacob. But you need to learn from someone else's experience and not bite off more than you can chew. It's a tough lesson to learn. The other thing I see is just try to live within your means. Try to live within your means. You realize God never intended you for you and me to live beyond our measure, which he provides for us. Now, I understand God gives us all things richly to enjoy, but he also gives you a measure, a measure. And as the old preacher said, you only need so much money to live off of, and the rest is for showing off. Amen? You and I, you need to learn to live within your means and live within your measure. Live within your measure. And uh, which brings us to this thing, is that throwing away money is just dumb. Amen? Too simple tonight? Throwing away money is just dumb. The more debt you incur, the more God's resources you waste. Look at verse 5. In Nehemiah chapter 5, he says, Let us leave off this usury. You know, when we make purchases many times, and some of you are good at it, and some of you, well, not so good, uh, and maybe in the future you might be better at it, and maybe you won't, I don't know. But we plan our purchases around the cost of something. We never factor into interest. And interest is a hind-end biter. There's no other pastoral way to say that. It gets you. And the more you can cut off that interest, the better off you are. Why? God gave you a certain amount of resources, didn't he? Use them the best that you can. All right? And throwing away uh, money is dumb. Uh, let me give you three things on B. So first of all, when it comes to trying to do the best you can with money, first of all, be simple. Be simple. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Be content with such things as you have. Amen? You and I, as a Christian, just need to learn to be simple. I remember one old preacher said this. He said, what you and I need to do as a Christian, he said this about 30 years ago. He's like, you need to get way back away from today's standard of living and do everything you can to be to be content with that. 
In other words, go back to your mom and dad's era and be content with how much money they had and was going out then. All right? So be simple. Be content with such things as you have. And then be supplied. Be supplied. Let the Lord supply your need. Amen? Everyone has need. You have need. I have need today. Uh, this church has need. And let the Lord supply the need. That's Philippians 4, verse 19. My God shall, will supply all your need. Not only be simple, be supplied, but then go ahead and be surprised. <laughs> you say, why? Because the Lord is even known for supplying a want or two. Now, I've heard preachers preach all the time, like, he'll supply your need. He won't supply your wants. I agree. But Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ, there was a fellow that God sent his way and it said he ministered unto my wants. So be surprised. Be surprised. Don't expect it. But when he does, be surprised and say, thank you, Lord. I sure do appreciate that. That was mighty kind of you. You didn't have to, but you did. What a blessing. Be simple, be supplied, and be surprised. Well, you've got uh, family troubles. You've got financial troubles. And now I see here in verse 5, future troubles future troubles, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to present the troubles in the passage so you and I can learn from the Holy Spirit how to steer clear of trouble in the Christian life. Well, let me show you this. First of all, when it comes to future trouble in verse number 5, I see, first of all, a national crisis. It is the nation of Israel there, but if I could apply it to you and me, there is a national crisis right now, and it's debt. The national debt for 2024 is 34 trillion. I'm not going to give you the rest. That's 12 zeros. I can't count that high. I don't think you could count. If you started at one, you'd die before you got to 34 trillion. <laughs> That's a lot of debt. So uh, verse 5, it says, We bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. You see that? They're saying, look, our kids coming in, they're already in debt. Now, that is the world you and I live in. And that's why it's important to beg God and get a hold of what God wants you to do with your money. And you notice I'm not saying, well, if you tithe, then everything will be all right, because that's not always the choice. That's not always the plan either. Also, if you're in debt, you know what I tell you as a preacher? Pay off your stinking debt, so then when you're done with your debt, you can tithe. But the problem is, is a national crisis. The national debt... Per person living right now is 872574 Per person. I've never made that much money. I'm almost 50 years old. I have not made $872,000, especially in this county. <laughs> Maybe in Jacksonville, amen. Just kidding. Now, the credit card debt, the credit card debt in the United States alone is $1 trillion. Credit card, that's just credit, that's not mortgages, that's not car loans, that's not all these 55 million different ways to get whatever you want on Amazon or whatever, monthly whatever installments. I mean, it's just credit card, like Visa, MasterCard, Discover, so forth, is $1 trillion. That's one with 12 zeros. That is 25664 for every person that is born into this world today. 25664 It's a national crisis, isn't it? Uh, things aren't looking very good, are they? 
and it just doesn't seem to get any better because it's not. It's not only a national crisis, but it's a family crisis. You say, how so? Well, our kids end up picking up our bad habits of spending and borrowing. Look at verse 5. Some of our daughters are brought into bondage already. You see it? It's passed on. It's passed on from Mamma and Papa to little sis. There it is. And not only is it a national crisis and a family crisis, but uh, notice the common conclusion in verse 5. Other men have our lands and vineyards. You say, what is that? I had to let it go to the bank. Just like that. They're so far in debt, that's trouble. That's trouble I believe you and I as Christians should be able to steer clear from. Many of it. Sometimes you might not. You might be put in a financial situation and it might just flat ruin you. I'm telling you right now. I can think of a half a dozen things right now that have almost flat ruined us. But we keep going. Now some of those you can control. Some of those you can put the brakes on. But some of those you cannot. And it's a national crisis. It's a family crisis. And the common conclusion is there in verse 5. Other men have our lands and our vineyards. But of all that trouble, you've got, the, you've got the family trouble, the financial trouble, the future trouble. Look here in verse 9. I'll give you number 4. Here's fear trouble. Fear trouble. Now I want you to notice here. Actually, look at verse 7. When you fear man, you will not fear God. You need to get that into your brain somehow. When you fear man, you'll not fear God. Verse 7, he says, And I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said unto them, Ye exact usury, every one of his brother. So in debt, they begin to fear the bill collectors. In verse 7, you see the nobles and the rulers pop up, and they're the ones exacting the usury. Once you're in debt, you begin to fear the, de- uh, the bill collectors. And so they're so in debt, they're, they fear about being able to live. You see where the fear goes? Oh, we can't pay our bills. Oh, we don't have enough food. Oh, we're going to lose our house. And and you start fearing man. So there's fear trouble involved in here. And uh, so they're fearing about not being able to live. That's verse 5. They fear about not having enough to eat. That's verse 2. And they're they're so afraid, fear about being able to pay their taxes. That's verse 4. But when you fear man, you won't fear God. But notice this, when you fear God... You won't fear man. Look at verse 15. Notice what Nehemiah's banner becomes. But so did not I because of the fear of the Lord. That's a great banner. He didn't do what they were doing because he feared the Lord. Nehemiah's banner becomes the fear of God, but so did not I. The fear of God must become then the reason that you do or do not do something. I'm telling you the truth tonight. If you want to steer clear of trouble, you've got to fear the right things. You can't fear the bill collectors. You can't fear, you know, whether or not you're going to get sick. You're going to fall down and bump your head or something. You can't fear whether or not the well is going to be. Hey, look, at the end of the day, if we can't afford the well, we shut the water off and pray for a couple weeks. You see what I mean? Now, I know I woke up with a headache this morning. I had one this afternoon. It's got to do with probably everything going on. Just I'm dumb or something or ate a bunch of salt or sugar, whatever. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is I can't fear that well. I can't do it. And I'm not talking about being, you know, like uh, what these, you know, wrestlers that get up in front of the mic and scream. and I'm not afraid of you. you know, I'm just, hey, there's genuine fear and not being able to do what God called you to do. But at the end of the day, he's either going to provide for us or he's not. 
So you've got to learn to fear the right things. Sam Jones said you ought to fear God enough to quit your devilment. <laughs> Amen? You ought to fear God enough to quit your devilment. Well, not only all these troubles. You've got family trouble, financial trouble. You've got future troubles. You've got fear trouble. The last one I see in verse number 13 is fellowship trouble. Fellowship trouble. Now, trouble is real. There's no doubt about it. And uh, when I first got married, uh, the most trouble I had was fighting about which side of the bed to sleep on, amen, or which way the toilet uh, paper thing hung. I know it's kind of funny, but the older you get, the more you start going through, and you find out trouble is real. Trouble is real. And, uh, but you know what trouble can do? It can affect your fellowship. Look at this. It can shake you up. Look at verse 13. Nehemiah says, so God shake out every man from his house. And he's talking about if they don't do the right thing. And if you don't steer clear of trouble that can be avoided, it'll shake you up. It'll shake you up unnecessarily. Amen. God puts you in a certain place at a certain time to hear his word and to see his word read and your daily fellowship with him. And if you ignore it, it'll shake you up. Light, when you reject the thing, becomes lightning. And you've got to be careful about that. You got to take the Lord serious. Uh, uh, trouble can shake you up in verse 13. And not only that, but trouble can slow down the work. You say, where do you see that in the text? He had to stop and deal with all this foolishness. So when he stops, guess what? All the work stops. But you know, sometimes you're going to have to deal with the trouble. And in invariably, when you stop, it'll slow down what you're trying to do for the Lord. So trouble will shake you up. And it'll slow down the work. But notice here in verse 8, back here in verse 8, ultimately, trouble can silence your communion with God. Verse number 8, the Bible says, Then held they their peace and found nothing to answer. That's a terrible place to be. Now I know uh, Nehemiah just got done bawling them out for doing the things that they shouldn't have done. And uh, when a real Bible-believing preacher gets up and preaches, it's like over, it's like right here. And it's like in 1 Kings chapter 18 or 19, the Bible says, Elijah got done, they answered him not a word. It's not all this hooting and hollering and shouting and turning out, swinging from the fans and jumping out the windows. That's not what he's talking about. But when real Bible-believing preaching goes on, things get quiet. But when trouble comes your way that you could have avoided, it often silence your communion with him. And that's what you want to avoid. When trouble comes, that's the time to increase the fellowship. That's the time to increase the, the flow of the faucet. Turn it on a little bit brighter. Well, it's too much, too much trouble. I don't have time. No, you better take time. But it'll silence your communion with God. Now listen, when you get in this predicament here and you get into fellowship trouble, I want you to see the answer real quick. Here's the answer according to the text. First of all, when you refuse to steer clear of trouble and uh, your communion is silenced with God, you need to receive the rebuke. That's in verse 7 to 10. You take it. Now listen, sometimes you, sometimes me, sometimes you just need a good rebuke. Amen. Just like your kids, they just sometimes need a good old stern lecture. <laughs> Amen. Now you don't like it one bit, and neither do I, but sometimes you need it, and sometimes I do too. You receive the rebuke in verse 7 to 10, then you repent of the actions in verse 12. And they're repenting of their actions in verse 12. And in verse 12, you see a restoration of the relationship. You restore the relationship between you and the Lord. And then in verse 13, if you look at that thing, you've got to remember the consequences. 
and the consequences we want to focus on tonight is fellowship trouble, fellowship trouble. Now there's trouble in the Christian life. And the reality of this message is that life is filled with trouble. Some you can avoid, some you can steer clear of, and some, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3, you and I are appointed thereunto. It is in, you know, the Lord has uh, not only a record book, but I'm, I wonder if he's got like a Franklin planner or something like that. And everyone has affliction and trouble appointed unto them. And you know how you get on your little smartphones there? Uh, the notification comes through, and you can, you can accept it or reject it. Guess what? <laughs> you are not get, you're not able to reject those appointments because we're appointed unto it. And that trouble you can't get away from. But there's a lot of trouble in the Christian life. I see right in this passage that you and I can steer clear of trouble if we're willing to identify it. Some people play with that financial thing. Oh, I can handle it. Oh, it's not a big deal. And next thing, you know, they're so in hock, they got to get another job. they got to get another whatever. And now it affects their relationship with the Lord. It affects their fellowship with Him. It affects their fellowship with the brethren. And next thing you know, you can't find them in the church house anywhere. Now, I know that's not dealing with you tonight, but that stuff is real and that stuff happens. So this would be one of those things you tuck away for a later date. If you see the trouble, you have to identify the trouble so you can steer away from it later because it might not be in front of you right now. I really don't want my life filled with trouble that I saw, I could have steered clear of, but I was stupid and ran smack dab in it like someone that had no sense. And that's what I want to preach about today, just steering clear of trouble. Maybe today's the day you need to just maybe take a few minutes and talk to the Lord about your troubles. You know, are, are you even willing tonight to admit that you have any? I mean, some people. You say, how do you know? Unfortunately, I know some things, not very much. Some people, all their trouble is all over social media, you know. And some people uh, the blast social media like the great ambiguity and everything is terrible and bad. And they get to the church house and all of a sudden they don't have any trouble. I don't understand that. I got trouble. I got problems. You say, what are they? None of your business. <laughs> I got trouble. And some people, you know what, the first step is just being willing to admit you even have trouble. And identify it as a hazard. You can't hit the brakes until you're like, yeah, that's a problem right there. And if you're willing to identify it and say, yeah, I've got trouble. There it is. I'm not going to play around with it anymore. That thing, I've run into it 100 times in the last 30 days, and I've got to hit the brakes. That thing's tripping me up right there. Maybe today is just the day you talk to God about that trouble. Say, Lord, I'm tired. Help me to steer clear of that thing. How do I steer clear of it? And you'd be surprised, and you get that thing, uh, learn that that thing's trouble, and you restore the relationship, you start remembering the consequence it brought your way, it fixes your fellowship trouble, and then you can steer clear around that thing. <coughs> Remember that song? I don't, I don't know if we have it in our hymn book or not. It says, troublesome times are here, filling men's heart with fear. Freedom we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling our hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Keep the way pilgrims trod, Christians awake. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom, trumpets will sound. All the dead shall rise, righteous meet in the sky. Going where no one dies, heavenward bound. Man, you know, one of the, one of the greatest reasons you should want to steer clear from trouble as a Christian 
is because he's coming soon. I don't want to meet him in trouble that I caused or I could have avoided. I just wanted to help you tonight by helping you learn to steer clear of trouble. And look, why don't we stand? We'll close in prayer. Steer clear of trouble this week. Ask the Lord, Lord, show me my trouble. Help me to identify it as trouble and help me to steer clear of the trouble. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the perfect word of God. Thank you, Lord, for trouble. Lord, some of the trouble we just can't get away from. It just finds us. And Father, we pray that you'd help us, Lord. Help us to sort out the trouble in our life, the trouble that's there because it has to be. And maybe, Lord, there's some trouble that we've let come in and we could have avoided it. Now, Father, I pray that you'd help us to not only be able to identify it, but, Lord, get victory over it, stop the thing, and steer clear of it. Help us this week, Lord. We sure need your help. We're grateful. We're thankful, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. And, Father, we need your guiding hands in each of our lives this week. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you on Wednesday. Or, no, we won't see you on Wednesday. See you in a week. <laughs>